there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! We are going to continue with a series that we started last week on the Holy Spirit uh, entitled Full of Fruit. Uh, And we are just simply taking a few weeks to study uh, what is known as the fruit of the Spirit. You may have grown up in the church and you may remember uh, singing uh, songs about the Holy Spirit, like the fruit of the Spirit is not a coconut, uh, that, that kind of song at camp and, and, and vacation Bible school. Uh, so it's a very familiar concept, but I'm not sure it's, a, it's, it's understood the way it uh, is meant to, to be understood. So uh, we wanted to, to take a few weeks and really dive into uh, you know, this fruit, this supernatural fruit that is gifted to us by the Holy Spirit. And so Galatians 5 Uh, is where we were last week, and that's where we'll camp out uh, today. Uh, This is the famous fruit of the Spirit passage. Galatians 5, 22 through 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So real quick, real quick, here's what we said uh, last week, and it's important for you to, to, to kind of be reminded of what we talked about last week. Um, real quick, here's what we said. If you notice the, the, the text, the, the structure of the text, um, that you'll, you'll notice that the word for fruit here is singular. It's not the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is one fruit. It's not multiple fruits. It's one fruit with nine dynamic qualities. And so, uh, you know, I've got an apple here. So the apple is a fruit, uh, but there's a lot of qualities to describe the apple itself. You know, this particular one is shiny. It's crispy. It's sweet. It's juicy. It's tart. Now, these are attributes, but it's still an apple. And these are ways to describe the attributes of an apple. And so the fruit of the Spirit is singular. And here's why I want you to note that. Because I think we've been misled in the evangelical church for years into thinking this is some type of task list. I was gentle today. I helped an old lady across the street. I was kind today, uh, I was faithful today, and we just kind of check it off uh, like it's a task list. Like we kind of get to pick or choose which ones we want to use. For example, well, today I might be gentle, but I'm not going to be good. I'll be gentle, but I'm not going to be good. Or I'll work on joy and peace, because I want joy and peace, but I don't care anything about kindness or goodness. Or I'll work on love, but I don't care anything about self-control. So I'll love people, but I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want, with whomever I want, and how often I want. Okay, so this is not a grocery list uh, of different kinds of fruits. It's one fruit. And here's why this is so, so important. 
And then we talked about this last week, and I want you to understand this. And I'm not judging you, because I don't know where your walk is with the Lord. But this, this fruit of the Holy Spirit, you either have it or you don't. You, are you following that? You, you either have it, all of it, or you don't. So if you say, well, I can be gentle and kind, but i got to work on those other seven things, uh, you, you don't have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You have a, a counterfeit fruit of the Holy Spirit. You either It's an all or nothing thing. And so I think what people have been doing for hundreds of years is just kind of faking it. Well, I'll be kind and gentle uh, even though I don't have the Spirit of God in me, I feel like I can, I can be kind and gentle to those around me uh, for a short period of time. And I'll just kind of white knuckle my way through it. Uh, and, and it just becomes this cumbersome uh, albatross that hangs around our neck. Listen, that's not real fruit. That's not a real apple. That would be like having a wax apple up here. It's an imitation of the real thing. So we either possess the fruit. Or we don't. All of it. So, whether or not you possess the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your heart is not a question that I can answer for you as your pastor. Because I don't, I don't know what you do in your life. I don't know what thoughts you think. Uh, I can't answer. That is a question between you and the Lord. That's one of those, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But let me say this. If you were purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and he whitewashed your soul, then you are in possession of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, the question is whether or not you're utilizing it. But if you're saved, you do possess this supernatural fruit of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Okay, and so the other thing we talked about last week was the fact that when you look at the, at the text, whose fruit is it? But the fruit of of the Holy Spirit. It belongs to the Holy Spirit. It is a gift from God and the Holy Spirit to us to distribute to ourselves and other people around us. And so the example we used last week was my grandfather was an apple farmer and he would go from farm to farm to farm and, and peddle his apples and he would give me a bushel of Golden Delicious and while he was dealing with the parents, he would say, here, you can have these to snack on and whichever kids come up, if you want to give them as many apples as you can. He grew the apples, he picked the apples, they were his, but he gave them to, to me so I could distribute to myself and those around me. And this is the same concept of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so what we're going to do today, and this will also carry over into next week, is we, we kind of want to look to answer this question. And the question is simply this. What is the fruit of the Spirit supposed to be used for? Why did God give us this fruit? What are we supposed to, to do with it? What is the purpose for God implanting in your heart when you're saved this fruit. What in the world do we need it for? Well, if we go back to our text, and I want you to pay attention specifically to the, I know I told you it wasn't a list, but I want you to pay attention to the list of attributes here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now notice the qualities here. Every one of these are attributes 
that we have to use to navigate through relationships. These are all relational attributes. And so, at the end of the day, the only thing on this earth that matters are the relationships we form. I have never, I've been to a lot of men and women's bedsides as they are dying, uh, it's just part of ministry, and I have not one time ever had someone say, hey, could you uh, like drive my hot rod by the window so I can see it one last time? Or, or, or hey, can you take me to my lake house uh, so I can just look at, at my lake house one last time? No, what happens is, all the relationships that person's formed, they, they come around them because at the end of the day, relationships are, are, are the only thing that, that matters. All right? So, uh, our relationship to God matters. Our relationship to each other matters. And then the most complicated relationship that many of you have is the relationship with yourself. All right? Th these are all important things uh, in our lives. God built you and me to be relational beings, right? Remember what happened in the creation account? God created the, the earth and everything that was on it and all the animals and the birds and he created Adam and then God kind of sat back and he was looking down on his creation and he said, you know, it is good. Uh, but then he said something very interesting when he saw Adam mealing around on the earth by himself. What did he say? It is not good for man to be alone. God has designed us for relationships. They are the most important things in our lives. Okay, so to lay a little groundwork here, I don't know if you know this or not, but you have three types of relational, relationship structures in your life. We all have the same three. We call them upward, outward, and inward. All right? One relational structure that you have is called your upward relationship, and that's the most important. That is the relationship we have with God. Whether it's a good relationship or a bad relationship, or you don't believe in God and you're just indifferent, you, you have, we all have an upward relationship. Then we have outward relationships. This is our relationships to other people. People we share houses with. We share office space with. We share cul-de-sacs with. We share schoolrooms with. These are people that, that all are all around us. And then we have what is called the inward relationship. And that is the relationship you have with yourself. And that one can get pretty complicated. We'll talk about that next week. But, but at the end of the day, these are the only things that matter. One day Jesus was uh, talking to a lawyer. It sounds kind of like the opening of a joke. Uh, Jesus and a lawyer walk into a bar. That's not at all what I mean. Uh, literally, in history, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is talking to a lawyer. Okay? And the lawyer asked Jesus a question. And the question was simply this. Rabbi, Lord, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? In other words, what matters most to the Lord? From your perspective, you're the son of God. You say you're the son of God. So what's, what's the most important thing to God? What matters to him most in the world? I want you to note Jesus' response in Matthew 22, verse 37 and following. He says, and he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest in the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the question is asked of Jesus, hey, what's the most important thing in the world? Like, what does God care about the most? And Jesus' answer in a word? Relationships. Look how he said, look how he answers. The first thing he says, you shall love the Lord your God. So he says, listen, the most important thing is this upward relationship that you have with God. And the second is this, love your neighbor. That's, that's your outward relationship as yourself. That's your inward relationship. So this is what matters. This is the most important thing to God. In fact, I believe it's so important that God has gifted us with his Holy Spirit to enable us to act and to react within the framework of all three of these relationship structures, upward, outward, and inward. Today, we're going to look at the upward attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, and then next week, we'll do outward and inward. All right, so let's talk about upward. Many scholars and theologians call this Godward fruit. Uh, because the three qualities that we're going to talk about deal directly with your personal relationship to God or lack thereof. All right, we see them in, in our text, Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Love, joy, peace. Now, I love the fact that the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to list love first, because all other fruit is really an outgrowth of love. And the love here being described is a divine type of love. It's a gift from God, and we've got to cultivate it, and we've got to pray for it to increase. Now, now here's what's interesting, and here's where it gets complicated for us, because we speak English. We have one word for love, right? That's it, one word. So you can love a McRib sandwich from McDonald's and you can love your wife, but you better love them completely differently or you're going to be sleeping on the couch, right? All right, so you, you love, but you, obviously you love your wife more than you love a McRib sandwich. Some of you are like, I don't even like McRib sandwiches and more or less love them. By the way, they're back. Seasonal. So everybody at McDonald's afterwards, extra peppers and onions. All right. Uh, but we have one word for love. But in the Bible, there's multiple words for love. And, and, and one, of the, one of the most spectacular words for love is this word agape. All right, Agape is like the deepest form of love. It is what you would call a very unconditional love. It's not performance-based. It's I just love you because I love you. All right? And agape draws its meaning directly from the revelation of God into Christ. In other words, here's what God is saying. What do you mean you don't know that I love you? Like, I live, I'm a spirit, God is spirit, and I, I actually changed my form. I became a human being. I became a different creature. I wrapped myself in flesh 
And that flesh hung on a tree and much of it was torn off. And I lost a lot of blood and there was pain and there was suffering. And I did it because I have this agape, this unconditional love for you because I want you to be part of God's family. Love. Agape love. See, it's a matter of will over feeling. Right? Even the... Even the most happily married person in here will have to admit sometimes they have to will themselves to love their spouses, right? Sometimes they just get on their nerves and you go, oh boy, I did. All right, so it's this will over emotion. What's interesting, and we don't really have time to get in this, but when you look at the word love, the love of God for his people in the Old Testament, we wouldn't translate that in English to our word love you know what the real word would be? Steadfastness. God saying, listen, I love you. No strings attached. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, I, I, I just love you unconditionally. It's a matter of God saying, I'm here for you. You are loved by a perfect heavenly father who is always here for you. It's God saying, I'm not going anywhere. You can scream at me, you can try to push me away, you can ignore me, you can even hate me, but I'm right here. And when you need me, turn to me and I'll be there. And that's love. It's much like a father who says to his son, son, I'm here. I, I know you're going to rebel. I know you're going to sow your wild oats. I know you're going to go do some things that I don't approve of, but I want you to understand one thing. I'm going to always be your dad. I love you no matter what you do. So listen, when you know through the gift of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that you're loved by this holy, magnificent, powerful God, it is life-changing. And if I could just say this, and I hope it doesn't sting too bad, I think many of you may be struggling in your walk with God simply because you don't believe that God is capable of loving you that way. Simply because you say, I know what I do when I'm alone. I know what I view on the internet. I know what words come out of my mouth. I know the thoughts that go through my head. I know the deeds that have been done by my hands. And if, and if anyone knew that, they would hate me, including God. And so you might be struggling because you can't even receive or believe that God has agape love for you. But he can, he does, and he always will. Now here's what's interesting. When a child knows they are unconditionally loved by their parents, psychologists tell us this crazy thing happens. They flourish, they grow, they adapt, they adjust because they know that the structure is there by their parents. They flourish because of this love. And so when you know, when we all know, beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves us, we begin to flourish. Okay, and so here's this crazy thing that happens. When you, when you get that concept... You, 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 you live in the sphere of God's love 
then you begin to experience joy that you've never been able to experience in your, in your whole life. See, you've been, we've been looking for happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. Times are good, I'm happy. Times are bad, I'm not. So you're, you're like bipolar, all right? But joy is all about contentment. It's all about being, you know what? I am loved by the author, perfecter, and creator of the universe. You want to talk about whose dad would win a fight? My dad's got it. He loves me. And what that does, it begins to build joy in our hearts. When you know that you're loved by God, it produces this unexplainable joy. It's this, in, this internal contentment that everything's going to be okay. No matter what life throws my way, it's going to be fine. So if I get the promotion at work or I don't get the promotion at work, I'm okay because I'm loved by my Heavenly Father. If I live in a big house or I live in a, in a trailer park, I will praise His name. If I'm in the doldrums of life or I'm on the mountaintop, I will rejoice because God is on His throne. If the doctor says you have cancer or the doctor says you have a clean bill of health, it doesn't matter either way because I'm going to be all right. And the reason I know I'm going to be all right and the reason no one can take that joy away from me is because I know I'm loved by my Father in heaven. Hallelujah. So listen, when you know you're loved by God, that joy of the Spirit begins to well up inside of you and then this crazy byproduct happens. Peace. So if you were doing a math equation, you could do it like this. Love plus joy equals peace. You ever met a person that just lives in peace? Like you can, you can from the outside, you can see their whole world crashing down on them and they got this big goofy smile on their face. Like they're just, they're just always living in that peace. This is what God wants for us. And the Holy Spirit, particularly the fruit of the Holy Spirit that lives in here, is what gives us that, that peace. I love people that live in this unexplainable peace. I shared a story with you years ago. I'm going to repeat it. <clears throat> uh, so I have a confession to make. I was up here hooting and hollering last week because the Braves won the World Series. Uh, I, I am not from here originally, so I've not always been a Braves fan. Well, when I was in college in the early 90s, that's remember when the Braves did their worst to first and they went on this incredible run? Well, we were in college and the Braves uh, were going to play in the National League Divisional Championship Series to go to the World Series, the Pittsburgh Pirates. And uh, I had two of my college buddies, or actually three of them, who were huge Braves fan, fans. And they found out that in Pittsburgh, the game wasn't sold out. And we were thinking, who wouldn't go to a, you know, this is a divisional championship series. So we bought six tickets. We cut class one day. We drove eight hours from Elizabeth City, North Carolina to Pittsburgh. All right. And that night we stayed in a Motel 6, all six of us in one little room. Uh, when you're in college, you do stuff like that. It doesn't matter. Um, so we go there. And all my friends have all these like Braves gear and stuff on. I'm like, I don't have any Braves gear, so let's stop at a Walmart. And I grabbed a hat on the way out of town. And uh, so we get there, uh, and uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. This is not a slight if you're from Pennsylvania, specifically the city of Pittsburgh. 
But that, those were the most obnoxious people I've ever met in my life. We were in a sea of, of Pittsburgh Pirates, these six little college guys, and our little Braves hats, and people were throwing beer at us, they were cussing at us, they were telling us, we'll see you in the parking lot, we're going to beat you down, you better hope the Pirates win. And, and so I began to kind of get a little scared. I was like, this is not cool. I, you know, I just wanted to come see a game and not go to class, and now I'm going to die, um, right? And so to make matters worse, the, the, the Braves won. I was hoping they'd lose so everybody would calm down. No, they didn't. Um, and I believe uh, that's when they had Barry Bonds. He was also hit by a pitch. And so everyone was like, it was, so anyway. Uh, so our walk from the stadium to the parking lot was like going through a, a matrix of just insults and hurls and people. I mean, it was just, it was bad. And I realized there's bad fans everywhere. Um, so we finally get to a van. We're all in my friend's mom's minivan. <laughs> all right. And we're in there and we're like, holy cow. That was, that was the weirdest thing in my life. I'm glad we're, we're going to live. And then all of a sudden, our van is surrounded by rabid Pittsburgh Pirate fans. And the guy driving, for some reason, rolls down the window. And this girl grabs his Braves hat off of his head, throws it on the ground, uh, and starts stepping on it. And she's going, whoa. Uh, and he's like, that's my hat. So he goes out to get the hat, she jumps on his back, and then he's just lost in a crowd of people. And so we lost our driver. We're sitting there going, all right. You driving? Because I ain't going out there. <laughs> so finally, the, this little short guy, his name is DJ, he's kind of the tough guy. He's like, well, I'll go out there. He gets lost in a sea of people. So now we're down to four. Nobody's in the you know, shotgun or, or driver's seat. You going to drive? No. I don't know, we, well, I guess we'll just sit here, at least we're safe inside the van. Then all of a sudden, the van began to start going back and forth. And we look out the window, and there are people just screaming and yelling and throwing beer on the van, and the, the van is rocking, and the guy, one of the guys who's, who's, it was his mom's van that we borrowed, he's like, you're going to break my mom's van, they're going to break the shocks, I'm going to get in so much trouble. And, and, you know, it began to get scary. And I looked at my friend, who's in ministry, he's preached here before, Jeff Bennett. And I said, Jeff, I think we're going to die tonight. He said, yeah, I, I don't know. What are they going to tell our parents, man? You know, we, we're, we're freaking out. And the van's just rocking. And, and, you know, we think at any moment it's finally going to be turned on its end. They're going to break the windows out and we're going we're to die. And so we got this friend that's sitting behind us. His name is Jason Kirkman. And... He's just sitting there like this. He's got a Snickers bar in his hand. He's going. <laughs> and I'm like, how are you eating? Aren't you afraid? He's like, nah, we're good. And he wasn't afraid at all. Long story short, security had to come out and they dismantled the, the crowd and we had to actually be escorted out of the parking lot. And I've never been back to Pittsburgh since. Um, nor, nor will I. But this guy, in the midst of all of this, was just at total peace. You ever met a person like that? So God gives us that peace. But it's this supernatural peace. It's this peace that Paul describes as a peace that kind of transcends all human reasoning. All human understanding. 
That's a gift from the Holy Spirit, and it's part of the fruit that He gives us. So a major function of the Holy Spirit is for you to know that you're loved unconditionally by God the Father. And when you feel that you're loved, you're more content. That contentment begins to well joy up inside of you. And when you know God's loving you, you know He's pulling for you, you know He wants the best for you, that joy begins to, to overflow. It's that love and that joy that produce peace. And so a case in point would be the Apostle Paul, uh, his experience recorded in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, let me tell you about Philippians chapter 4. These are the words of a dying man. These are the last words that Paul would write before his head would be cut off and he would die for his faith. All right? But before I go there, I want to steal a quote from a preacher in Texas named Matt Chandler who was talking about the Apostle Paul. Here's what he, here's what he said about Paul. Quote, The Apostle Paul had to be the most frustrating man on the face of the earth to those who were persecuting the church, end of quote. And, and think about if, if you were trying to kill the church and, and you met a guy like Paul. He was incredibly frustrating because he walked around in the joy of the Lord. Nothing you threw his way bothered him. All right, so case in point, Paul... You, you, we have told you to stop preaching. You have, you're not going to stop preaching, so we're going to kill you. We're going to line you up. We're going to throw stones at you. We're going to bash your head until you're dead. You are going to die for your faith. Paul's like, cool, here's the rocks. To die is gain. I'll just be with the Lord. Go ahead. Okay, no, no, we're not going to kill you. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to beat you within an inch of your life. We're going to pull flesh off of you. You're going to have scars. You're going to have a limp for the rest of your life. How do you like that? Cool. To live as Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here's a whip. What do we do with this guy? Okay. We said we're going to kill him. We said we're going to beat him. All right, we're not going to do any of that. Here's what we're going to do since you won't stop preaching the gospel. We are going to take you. We're going to put you in the darkest, deep in prison we can find. We're going to put you in chains, and you're never going to see the light of day. Paul's like, awesome. I'll just convert every single guard you have to Jesus Christ, and the gospel will still go forward. There was nothing they could do to Paul to frustrate him. Good, bad, or ugly, because he had the love, the joy, and the peace with his heavenly Father made possible through the upward fruit of the Holy Spirit. He knew he was loved by God, his joy was found in God, and that produced a peace that transcended all understanding. So look what Paul writes in Philippians 4, verse 10. He says, I've rejoiced in the Lord greatly, <clears throat> that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Let me just stop right there. Your joy is eternally linked with your contentment. If you're discontent, your joy level is going to drop. Joy and contentment cannot be separated. Okay. Verse 12, Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance 
and need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, all of this stems from his upward relationship with God through the fruit of the Spirit provided to him by the Holy Spirit. He knew he was loved by God. It produced the joy in him that no one could take away. And he lived and he walked in that peace that transcended all logical understanding. And here's what I want you to understand today, friends. That very same fruit is dwelling in you. We have the same Holy Spirit that Paul had. We have the same fruit of the Spirit that he had. And I want you to understand this morning that God loves you. God created joy for you. And he wants to live at peace with you. And all of this is made possible through his Holy Spirit. There was a, <clears throat> a little girl named Sally who liked to walk to school every day. She liked to skip on the sidewalk and look at the flowers. And she liked to say hi to the neighbors. And one morning when she got up, her mom noticed it was pretty cloudy. And they were calling for rain later. But Sally begged her, no, I want to walk to school. Please let me walk to school. So she walked to school. And when school was over, Sally began her walk home. She was skipping along, and then the wind picked up and began to howl, and these huge raindrops started falling from the sky. Suddenly, a bolt of lightning crashed through the sky, followed by thunder. And so at home, Sally's mom thought, oh my goodness, I've got to go drive to the school and maybe find her walking back because she's got to be, she's in physical danger from the lightning, but she's got to be horrified by all this thunder and lightning. And, and so Sally's mom jumps in the car and she's trying to, you know, get to the school where, where she can pick her up. And she rounds the corner and she sees Sally walking along and there's this huge flash of lightning. And all of a sudden Sally just looked up and smiled at the sky. And she watched her daughter do this three different times. Each time the lightning would flash, it caused Sally to stop walking and to look at the sky and smile. And finally, she rolled down the window and she said, Sally, what on earth are you doing? And Sally answered, I'm smiling, Mom. God keeps taking pictures of me. <laughs> Listen, so it has been said by some great theologian that God has a wallet. I don't know if that's true or not, but if he does, you can bet your picture's in it. I can guarantee you that though you may not see yourself this way, God sees you as a creature that was fearfully, wonderfully made. He sees you as something beautiful and magnificent. He loves you beyond all human comprehension. I don't, we're not capable of agape love, but he is. And storms are going to come and storms are going to go. But if you've got that fruit of the Spirit, you know you're loved, you know you're accepted, you don't fear the person who can kill the body, you just fear the person who can kill the soul, you don't have to worry about who or what does anything to you, because in the end, you're going to be at home with the Lord. It produces this joy in you that no one can take away. And then you can walk around, even in 2021, when the world is upside down, in peace. God's in your corner. He loved us so much that he gives us this fruit of the Spirit. Now listen, 
I'm going to go back to the statement I made that I think some of you may feel like you're unlovely, that God can't love you. You're coming off some lifelong addiction. You're going through some nasty divorce. You've got some sin struggle. You've got some indifference growing in your heart. Uh, Whatever it is, you've got a pornography problem. All the sins you can think of. And and you you just think, God, God can't love me. He can, and he does. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.